0: Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of October 30th, 2019. I'm Sean Higgins, joined by Ski Racing Media staff writer Mackenzie Moran.
1: Back two weeks in a row.
0: Before we get started, I just want to wish everybody listening a happy Halloween tomorrow. Mac, it is spooky season. What are you dressing up as this year?
1: Okay, I know this sounds super lame, but I'm actually not planning on dressing up for Halloween because I'm just going to be passing out candy and watching scary movies and keeping it nice and low-key this year.
0: Copy. Keeping it keeping it real, keeping it uh, nice and adult this year.
1: Yep, I am mature as they come.
0: All right, enough of that. So on this week's show, we will be recapping all the action from last weekend's World Cup opener in Solden, The good, the bad, and there actually wasn't that much ugly this year, which I got to say was pretty nice to see. Mac, I don't know about you, but I was very satisfied with both men's and women's races last weekend. What about you?
1: Yeah, we definitely had an exciting showing on the women's side. Alice Robinson barely hanging on that win over Schifrin. It was some good stuff. I'm excited to see how the rest of the season goes.
0: Awesome. I'd say the same for the men. Lots of excitement. Some unexpected surprises, but uh, hey, that's what we love about ski racing. All right, so a little later in the show will be Max interview with rising U.S. ski team technical star and multiple-time U.S. national champion Nina O'Brien. Nina definitely started her World Cup season off on the right foot on Saturday. She got in there and scored some valuable World Cup points with a 21st place finish. It's a really great interview, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. I think Nina is actually definitely going to be one to watch this season on the women's side, don't you?
1: Yeah, Nina had a solid season on the World Cup last year. She really finished off the season well back in the States, and so I'm excited to see what she has in store for us within the coming months.
0: Awesome. So before we dive in, just a quick little news update for everybody. We posted about this on Twitter on Saturday, but uh, Austria's Bernadette Shield did suffer a right ACL tear after her second run crash in the women's race. She was transported back to Innsbruck and was operated on that evening. So all the best to Bernadette for a speedy recovery, and we definitely hope to see her back out there soon. Mac, that was definitely tough to see another Austrian go down with injury. Their women's GS squad is looking mighty thin at the moment.
1: Yeah, last weekend we were missing some big names on the Austrian women's side. Stephanie Bruner, Anna Weith, and Katarina Lindsberger. And she's been having some drama as of late over ski supplier. Sean, you seem to know a little bit more about that than I do.
0: Yeah, I really want to touch on this whole situation with Katarina Leensberger. I think this has been really one of the most bizarre stories I've followed in the World Cup over the last couple of years. And, and frankly, when we first heard of what, what was going on a little bit uh, earlier in the summer, I mean, I didn't really think much of it because I was sure that things would get worked out before uh, the season started. But for people not read in and up to speed on this, Leinsberger has been a all athlete since she got to the World Cup a few years ago. She's 22 years old now. Um, this spring, she did what many athletes around the world do when their current contracts are, are expiring. She did some equipment testing and actually ended up signing with Kessley Skis, which is getting back into the race scene after, I think, 22 years and is uh, now back in the Austrian ski pool. Um, and the catch with that is that Kessley is not associated with a boot company that makes race boots. Um, Each national team has different rules regarding the equipment their athletes can and can't use, including the United States. And in Austria in particular, each athlete has to have contracts for all the equipment they use. Um, For example, an athlete can't just go to a ski shop and buy any pair of boots off the shelf and then go race a World Cup. That would be against Austrian team rules. After signing with Kessley, Linsberger was actually barred from even training with the Austrian team until she signed a boot contract. And rumors over the summer was that she was working on a deal with Dalbello before that eventually fell through. Um, then she was wanting to use Lang boots, which are partnered with, with Rossignol, and many racers do use Lang boots who ski on skis like uh, Elan or Stokely who don't have uh, a boot manufacturer um, under their own. Own umbrella, but Rossignol actually refused to give her a boot contract unless she signed a new two-year deal to use Rossi skis, boots, and look bindings. Long story short, an agreement could not be reached before Solden, and Leensberger was not allowed to start as the 12th ranked GS skier in the world heading into the race. What I've been reading since this weekend is that she has until November 15th to sign a new ski and boot deal, or she will actually not be allowed to race World Cup at all this season. Um, this is a situation where I really wish I spoke German fluently because so much of the nuance of what is said in these statements by both sides can easily be lost in translation. And, uh... In my opinion, the the statements that have been made by Rossi and the Austrian Federation to me have just been ridiculous. In a piece published in Austria over the weekend, there was this quote from Austrian ski team president Peter Schrucksnagel that said, and, and this is a translation from German, by the way, just so everyone knows, he says, quote, "Of course, I'm disappointed. I opened the door for her again and again, and it's a shame. Leinsberger is a talent, but this is how she destroys her career. end quote. Listen, I get at the end of the day that this is a business, but to me, this is clearly Austria putting their business relationships with their big money sponsors ahead of the well-being of an athlete. And I mean, Leensberger, she has to do what's best for her and what allows her to ski her fastest. And I'm just just so disappointed that there wasn't a resolution to this before the season started. And I really, really hope things get sorted out soon because it would be a real shame if we didn't see Leensberger in World Cups this year. I mean, come on. With Shield out, she's one of austria's best slalom skiers at the moment and she's just ridiculous to me that her own national team might bar her from competing over something like this mac i don't know if you have anything like you'd like to share but uh that's my rant for this week
1: yeah i mean well we see so much domination on the women's side especially in speed from austria and so to have just such a strong absence of austrians on the tech side Just feels a little off. I mean, granted, it's going to make room for new talent to come up and shine this season, but obviously I feel bad for any athlete that is healthy and able to compete, but can't compete because of, you know, big business playing a role in their ski federation.
0: All right, so pumping the brakes just a little bit and moving on to last weekend's World Cup action. Mac, on the women's side, obviously the biggest story of the day was 17-year-old Kiwi Alice Robinson taking her first World Cup win, just barely squeaking past Michaela Schifrin. I know we talked quite a bit about her last week on the show, and you mentioned her a little bit earlier. What stuck out to you in the women's race most on Saturday?
1: So aside from Alice Robinson making history as the youngest person to ever win in Solden, which obviously I think a lot of us were super impressed by, I was really taken with the performance by the Norwegian women. Maria Therese Seiberg, um, excuse my pronunciation of her name. Norwegian is not my native tongue. But she jumped from bib 58 into 26 after her first run, which is already extremely impressive. Then she went on to lay down the fastest overall time in the second run, beating both Robinson, Schifrin, Worley, all these other veterans that were up there in the ranks to finish sixth overall, which was her first top 10 on the World Cup. And I was super impressed by that. She also was joined by her teammate, Mina First-Holtman. And Holtman started in 19th, and also made a very significant jump to end up in the top 10. And Holtman ended up finishing fourth overall. So I think, in the absence of Mo Winkle and Nina Haverlose, both of them who are recovering from significant injuries last season, their younger teammates really stepped up and showed that the Norwegian women are going to have a lot of depth. This season and they have what it takes to compete for top spots in the World Cup.
0: Yeah, absolutely I 100% agree with you It was it was really cool to see some of those attack from the back performances, especially from from TV She suffered a a really significant knee injury a couple years ago in Lake Louise that really kind of sidelined her for for a while and to see someone come from Bib 58 to finish top 10. That is that is incredibly impressive. And as you said, the Norwegian team as a whole, they're really setting themselves up to be one of the deepest teams in tech this year. Uh, I mean, going back to 20th place, Thé-Louise Sjernesund uh, also scored some points. And she actually finished, I believe, ninth last year in Solden, which was her first World Cup. And she also came from Attack from the Back as well. Mac, I know you said Laura Goot was actually another performance that stuck out to you. She finished eighth. Um, Had a pretty inconsistent year in GS last year, but definitely has the speed to podium and win as she's done before. Uh, What are some of your thoughts on that?
1: I was impressed with her performance just because I know that she's been struggling a lot in the past to find consistency and really recover from injuries that she's had. And plus, we've mostly been paying attention to her in speed. So to see her do so well in the giant slalom was
0: cool. And did any other racers from other countries stick out to you?
1: Um, I was impressed to see um, her teammate, Michelle DeZine also end up in the top 10. She had a rocky season last year as well. She ended up cutting her year short because of injuries and also was struggling with, I think, the mental side of things given this very serious injury that her brother incurred in Val Gardena last season. We also had a really um, strong showing from Ramona Siebenhofer, who is typically a speed racer for the Austrian women and she ended up in the top 10. So I think overall just the top of the women's field was surprising, but that makes it really exciting because that means that we have a lot of women that are going to be contending for those top spots this year. And I'm, Excited to see how it all plays out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Shaping up to be another incredibly exciting year of women's GS. And and going back to Siebenhofer, I know we talked a little bit about the Austrian women and how thin they are with injuries and another thing is kind of holding the team back. So it was really, really interesting to see a speed skier, someone we haven't really seen in GS at all, step up and, and stick into the top ten. So looking big picture, I know only one race in. Do you think Alice Robinson can keep this pace going and seriously challenge for a GS title this year?
1: Alice is fairly young. She is 17, and I think in her words, she described her win as shocking. Um, I don't really think anybody on her team or in her sponsor pool is quite as shocked as she is about her result. But I think that just kind of indicates to her youth and the fact that she has to learn how to build consistency on the World Cup. Obviously, I love seeing her come out this early with that kind of speed because it's going to put pressure on Schifrin to perform every race and come out even harder. But I don't know. I think it's kind of anybody's ball game. This is definitely one of the more interesting disciplines on the women's
0: side. Absolutely. I think... If anything, seeing a racer as young as Robinson take the win in the season opener would really really light a fire underneath the rest of the field, especially racers like Schifrin, Worley, and Brignoni, who really are the top contenders for the GS title this year. I do think it's a little early to uh, make any kind of bold predictions as far as the women's uh, title race is concerned, but uh, 100% looking forward to Killington and the rest of the season on the women's tour.
1: Looking over at the men, it was another exciting day. Sean, thoughts on the performances and the guys that you saw sliding in the podium and top ten.
0: Yeah, I think if there's one big takeaway from this weekend's men's race is that there are a lot of guys that can be very fast in giant slalom this year, and obviously the big story is is Alexis Pantarow taking the opening win and uh, really making a statement in the race for the men's GS title this season. He's uh, going to be skiing on his own program this year, apart from the French team on the World Cup, and it's kind of given that it's pretty obvious where his focus is going to be this uh, season, especially with no World Champs or Olympics on the calendar. Um, he's, he's got crystal globes on his mind, 100%. Um, we know he can win in GS. He's obviously been the best combined skier in the world over the last handful of years. And, uh, he actually found his podium form in slalom again last season as well. So, so I would say that Row is the early favorite at the moment, not just for the GS title, but I would think a lot of eyes will be on him for that big overall globe as well. And the contrast to that would be the other big story heading into the race weekend, with uh, the rivalry between Penrose and Norway's Henrik Kristoffersen. And Kristoffersen really came up short on on Sunday. He was finished in 18th place, which is career worst in Solden. He did start with Bib 1, which can be a little tough to be the first guy out of the gate for the season. From what I saw, it wasn't necessarily bad skiing. It just kind of lacked the urgency we did see from some of the other top skiers. And he was only a couple seconds out, which on the World Cup is a lot. But when you really look at big picture, it's just a couple little things here and there um good news for christopherson low though is that uh slalom and levy is next and he has won there and we know that he is one of if not the top slalom skiers in the world over the last couple of years um so yeah interested to see how christopherson turns it around and if Penrick can keep the momentum going
1: did the rest of the podium surprise you at all
0: um not really i mean both Fevre and, and Kranjec have been on the podium before. I think it was a little more surprising to see Matthew Fevre get a runner up finish in the first race of the season just because he did have a bit of a tough year last year. He slipped back to the to the second seed in the world. But uh I mean, he's got the form. He's a strong guy. He's a good skier. And and the same goes with Kronjec. So I think uh it'll it'll be a battle at the top. Pinero won't be walking away with this overall title or the G S title. Easy.
1: So what about those American men seating three guys in the top 15, the most out of any nation? That was pretty sweet, right?
0: That was amazing to see. I know we, we talked a little bit last week in our preview show, uh, really kind of looking for top tens out of uh, Ligeti and Ford and, and, and kind of seeing that what Ryan could do if he had a good day. But I think they surprised everyone, even themselves with, uh, Slotting three guys into the top 11 with Tommy Ford in fourth, Ted Ligeti in fifth, and RCS sliding into 11th. It was was tight racing. I mean, Ryan, 11th place, 1.49 out. He could easily have split up a few more spots, but uh, he could easily have slid back quite a few spots too. So I think start to the season... Best start he's ever had in his career. I know he's going to be happy with that. And and Tommy coming with his career best finish and his first career scoring result in Solden, I mean, only bodes well for him the rest of the year. And, and even though Ted didn't get on the podium, and we talked a little bit about uh, how he's really looking for podiums and wins for the rest of his career, he's not going to be satisfied with, with much less. I think starting the year with a top five, which is his best result since he was last on the podium in Garmisch a couple of years ago. I think, again, only bodes well for him and his confidence heading into the rest of the year. They've got a bit of a break now. Um, I mean, Beaver Creek isn't until beginning of December, so plenty of time to rest up, train up, and uh, looking for big things out of those three. And then even the the American men who weren't able to get into the points, you had Brian McLaughlin and River Radimus just miss out on that second run. I think they were two and three tenths out each. So they're definitely on the right track, attacking from the back. And then Nick Krause, I think we haven't seen the last of Nick Krause, even though he didn't finish that first run. Um, He is definitely looking forward to Beaver Creek, and I think the American boys will be putting on a show on home snow in Beaver Creek, so we're definitely looking forward to that.
1: So last week we were wondering if the Austrian men were going to step up in place of Hirscher not being around anymore, and I guess things didn't really go as expected.
0: Yeah, things definitely could have gone better for the Austrians on Sunday. I mean, honestly, I wasn't expecting fireworks from the Austrians heading into Solden. We talked last week about that gap with Herscher out of the picture. Manuel Feller was the top Austrian finisher in 12th place, and they only had two other guys finish in the top 30. Um, That being said, though, the surprise of really the whole race for me was an Austrian man. So... Matthias Meyer finished in 15th place, and we've really only seen him in downhill and Super G on the World Cup throughout his career, and that really kind of said to me that he might be a real factor in the overall title race if he can find some consistent scoring form in GS. We already know that he can win in downhill and Super G. He has Olympic gold medals in both, so that to me was the biggest surprise in the men's race, and uh, we'll see how that storyline pans out the rest of the season.
1: What stood out to me was a performance from our friends from the Great White North. Two Canadian guys got points this weekend. That's yeah. pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Seeing Eric Reed and Trevor Philp both sneak into the points was, was really awesome. And Eric sliding in for a seventh place to open up the season was was awesome for him. And it was really cool to hear in his post-race interviews that he felt like that was the first time he really felt like the podium was in the reach within a reach for him and then his skiing was on the level that is required to really really do some damage on the world cup so we're definitely looking forward to seeing what eric can do the rest of the season and trevor i know we talked to trevor on the show earlier in the summer one of the nicest guys in the world cup he's satisfied with points but uh i gotta think deep deep down he was hoping for a little bit more um but uh he's definitely one to keep an eye on as well And that does it. Stick around after the break for Mac's interview with the U.S. Ski Team's Nina O'Brien. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. Alright, now we'll get you back to the show.
1: And welcome back to Tips and Tales. Today we have Nina O'Brien joining us, who is coming off of a great weekend in Solden. She had a career best finish, finishing 21st in the Giant Slalom, which is her second time scoring World Cup points in the GS. Nina, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Hi, Mackenzie. Thanks for having me on the
1: show. Let's get started. So, looking back on this weekend, I mean, you have to have been excited about that finish. It's the first race of the season. You've been working hard all summer leading up to this moment. What did it feel like to ski through the finish, get down there, and realize that you had actually just had one of the best performances of your World Cup career thus far?
2: Um, yeah, I, I was definitely pretty excited and happy. Um, to be honest, the first race of the season, I feel like everyone is a bit unsure as to how it's going to go coming into it. And so, um, even though I felt like training had been going well, I was still unsure how it was going to stack up. Um, So I was happy and a bit relieved to see that, okay, like my good skiing is showing up in a race and yeah, it felt good.
1: So you did have two pretty solid finishes on the world cup tour last season. You scored your first two sets of points going into this season. Do you feel like you changed anything up in terms of your summer preparation or what did that look
2: like? Well, this summer I actually was at school at Dartmouth. um, So we had sort of a big block of just dry land training, um, so I worked out a bunch, and then in the middle of August, we went down to Ushuaia and trained for three weeks, um, took a little break, and then we went back to Europe, skied indoors, and then um, we had a good prep period and sold in Sölden right before the race, which was super helpful.
1: So I had a chance to catch up with Storm Clomhouse earlier in the week to kind of get a sense for what your training was looking like going into sold in this weekend and she told me that in seasons past you guys actually haven't been able to get out on the pitch before you started the race so do you feel like getting to have some training runs under your belt on the glacier was a game changer for you this year
2: yeah I think this year we got to train on the race hill um a couple days which I thought was so helpful um I came into the race last year never having Ski to run down Solden um, and that was sort of a, a shock to the system. So this year getting a few training runs down it was like really huge for figuring it out and getting confidence on the hill.
1: Yeah I've heard that pitch can be pretty intimidating and I can't imagine what it was like just having to jump right into the race having no prior experience on that course.
2: Yeah I mean the pitch is definitely gnarly. I feel like on the top of the hill it's actually pretty moderate out of the start, so you have to push really hard. And then on the pitch, you're just sort of, you know, making your way down, trying to go down the hill as much as possible. But it kind of feels endless halfway down. You're like, oh, my gosh, I have a lot further to go.
1: So tell me about the feelings you had once it was all over, once you've gotten down the course, you survived, you realized that you not only made it, but you've actually performed.
2: Um, I mean, I was... It was definitely a good feeling. I feel like for the past few years, I've struggled at the beginning of the season to find um, some like positive momentum racing. Um, And I think it actually getting a result in the top 30 looking back, I was like, wow, okay, I can see that I've made progress over the summer and just looking even further back over the past few years. um, So yeah, I was definitely excited and uh, looking forward to hopefully more good results.
1: So let's talk a little bit about your teammates. Keely Cashman, that was her second World Cup start ever. And then you have AJ Hurt, who has been also had a couple of opportunities to start on the World Cup, but she hasn't really had, you know, the momentum to put two and two together just yet. You guys have spent a lot of time together from NORAMs to national championships to, training together all summer and I want to get a sense for what it's like to be able to go through this process of starting up and really trying to get your feet underneath you on the World Cup with other girls who are in a very similar situation as you
2: yeah I mean I think you said exactly what it is it's definitely a process I feel like especially with Keely and AJ we've sort of come up even since we grew up in squat together we've been skiing together Um so we sort of had success on the norm tour at the same time and now we're all trying to break into the world cup um it's a really good dynamic in training honestly it's like a new person is fast every day there's like no guarantee um on, you know who's skiing well because i feel like we're all skiing really well right now um and so in terms of the dynamic as we're all trying to break onto the world cup there's like no question in my mind that uh, all the other girls are skiing well enough that it's gonna happen for them very soon,
1: so because you're all skiing really fast right now, do you feel like that's helping you all to go faster, push harder, and just fight for more in training? I guess I'm wondering what your friendship and your teammates are bringing to your skiing game?
2: Um yeah, I think we're all I mean, we all get along so well. And so when we're pushing each other in training, It's motivating, but I also feel like it gives each other confidence to see um, one another ski well. Like, when I'm watching AJ ski super fast or, you know, see that she's beating me on the timer, you know, I think, okay, like, I can step up, I can do that, um, and vice versa with all the other girls. So, hopefully, as more of us, you know, break in, then it sort of just, like, creates an effect where, yeah, we're all comfortable and we're all that... Same speed in training, so we know we can do it in the race, too.
1: Let's talk about your goals this season. I mean, obviously, having a solid start like you did in Solden is a good sign and good motivator for the rest of the year. But as you start getting deeper into the World Cup season, what are you looking to accomplish?
2: Um, Well, last year, I only scored points just twice, once in Solom and once in GS. So I'm hoping to have more top 30 results. Um, more consistently in both slalom and GS and you know I'd really like to get in there in the first run and then be able to take advantage of a fresh course and really show some of my best skiing on the second runs. Um, I feel like I haven't quite been able to do that yet but that would be my goal.
1: I'm curious what is it like to have to fight for points every single time that you step into the start gate? What is it like trying to establish yourself at such a young age on the World Cup tour?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely have had a lot of World Cup start opportunities and um, for sure I've struggled to uh, put forward my best skiing in World Cups a lot. I feel like I'm just starting to feel, I don't know if it's more confident or comfortable in the World Cup where I'm able to show some of my, um, you know, ski like I train. Um, but I would say there's all this hype around the world cup. And even though, you know, it's just another ski race, it's hard not to fall into that and start thinking that you need to ski faster than you ever have to make it into the top 30. Um, but I would say sort of in my progression, um, having strong norm results and then having a better start position in the world cups has been huge. Um, because even as just a sort of mental battle, when you're starting a bit closer to the top 30, it seems like less of a huge deal to get into that top 30, whereas sometimes in the past, if I'm starting way in the back, it's felt like I you know, need to do something magical to get into that second run.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you've had some really positive results in the Norams. You are a four-time national champion. I mean, what translates from those races over into the World Cup? What are the similarities? What are the differences?
2: Um, it's, I don't know if there are huge differences in terms of, like we do ski challenging hills on the Norium circuits too, and the course sets aren't radically different in World Cups. Um, I think it's just sort of a matter of approaching it similarly on Norium and World Cup. At least that's what I'm trying to do these days. And on my good result or on my best World Cup races, um, I haven't tried to do anything more than I would do in a NorAm. It's just the same race day approach.
1: Say big differences are a little bit more on the mental side than as in comparison to the actual skiing itself.
2: I think so. Okay, I'm still I'm still trying to figure it out, but as of right now, I think. I think it's a bit more of a mental shift, just knowing who you're competing against, but having the confidence just to do what you usually do.
1: well to tell yourself, "Hey, I can hang with these girls. I belong here."
2: Yeah, I feel like um, sometimes I fall into the trap where I'm, I feel like I need to do more than I have in the past, and so you try and send it super hard in the World Cup, but when you're doing that, I end up making mistakes and. Once you're making big mistakes in your race run, you're not setting yourself up for uh, a great finish. Um, So, yeah, I think it's the mental battle to just, like, stay cool and do what you know you can.
1: Do you feel like being able to start your season off, you know, pretty early on in the States has any impact on setting the stage for your season? I know you scored your first World Cup points in Killington last year when you earned 23rd in the slalom, and – I wonder what it's like, I mean, to be able to ski here stateside with more of your U.S. teammates and more U.S. fans and be able to get to experience the tour at home rather than having to, you know, fight those battles in Europe right away.
2: Yeah, I mean, Killington definitely feels special. And I think that's probably true for all of us who've gotten to race there, just because you finally feel like you get to share the world cup experience with like the entire East coast ski racing community. Um, and when you have that many people out there supporting you and all your teammates are there racing, it's just, um, it's really fun and exciting and it feels more comfortable being at home in the U S and, um, yeah, I think it's definitely one of all of our favorite stops for the year.
1: So bringing it back to the teammate side of things, I know earlier in the interview we talked about what it's like to share this process with this group of girls in terms of establishing yourself on the World Cup Tour. But I'm curious to hear what you're looking forward to seeing from your teammates this year. I mean, Paula Molzan has been absolutely killing it on the slalom side. Then you've got Katie Hensian, AJ Hurt, Keely Cashman. All of you guys have been working so hard and pushing so much to build a strong technical women's team what are you looking forward to seeing out of these girls
2: i mean i i really can't wait until all my teammates show everyone else what they've been doing in training because um like you said paul has been crushing in slalom and so has katie hensian and aj and keely have been skiing really well in gf and slalom and then i just spent time with the whole Um, development team group as well as Abby Jewett and Galena Wardle Um, we all trained together at our last camp and honestly everyone has like so much good stuff going on in their skiing and so much speed that I'm yeah I'm excited for them to show everyone else that.
1: Any specific stops that you're really looking forward to on the tour this year? Um,
2: Well besides Killington let's see I think one of our favorite stops is always Courchevel, just because it's a pretty fun place to be. Um, Really beautiful location for the World Cup. And um, I know that AJ and I and Paula have had a lot of fun there in the past, so we're excited to go back there.
1: Yeah, I've heard that they added some length to that course, or would like to add some length to that course. I think I saw in a press release last week that they're tacking on 70 meters.
2: I didn't even know that. That's
1: sweet. Well, Nina, thank you so much for your time today. I am so psyched about your first results of the season, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest of the women's tech team can put together this year. It's going to be a great season based on what I've been hearing about over the summer and what I've been seeing so far. Yeah, thank you for
2: having me. I'm excited for the rest of the season. And um, yeah, good talking to you.
0: That wraps up this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.